Edgy script with lots of action? Check. Casts chock-a-block full of established and up-and-coming actors? Check. Reasonable budget? Check. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing, as we're about to show you, as we prove that smoking aces is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now, if you've listened to the past few episodes, you may have noticed that there's been a voice missing, and trust me, she's the better half of the two of us, but she's back and ready to rock, and my lovely wife, Carrie, is here once again. Welcome back to the show. How you doing? Oh, I'm good and it's so good to be back to the land of the living well now that we have the better part of the show Aww. back on to the record here um you we, would think i was paying you uh, well you know i mean i got i gotta make the money somehow do you get paid for this not a dime which is why i have to compliment you as much as possible because <laughs> i gotta I, I gotta rake it in as, as much as i can here. how too can i get paid for this i was starting to think i was getting fired well you see every time you say that i'm right <laughs> you get a little bit of that money back so you see See how this works now. Yeah. Right. Yes. No, I, I do appreciate um, each and every one of uh, uh, the past interviewees um, who, who sat in the hot seat with you um, because I had all but lost my voice. I had the, the three hour or three, three hour, the three week. Um, yeah. Hit cold from hell. Just lingering <laughs> cough, which, by the way, does lead to sexy blue singer voice. So I'm kind of down with that. Oh, yeah. I totally had like deep, sexy, like. Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it was deep and sexy or if it was like that voice box guy on South Park. <laughs> mm, would you like to do a podcast? Mm. That's a little more accurate to how I sound. <laughs> we have devolved already and we haven't even got to the trailer eyes here. But the, today's movie, I'm really excited about this. So when I mentioned Smoke and Aces, you know, and we were going to go down this road. You know, it's been a while since we had seen this movie, but how stoked were you for for jumping back onto this film? Oh my god! Okay, just I mean, can I can I go there? Can I hit the ground running right away? I loved the lineup of actors. I loved the concept. Like, I I can't believe we're sitting here talking about this movie. For yeah. shame, critics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, full disclosure, this is going to be a very biased episode because this is one of those movies that, you know, we would watch, like, ad nauseum back in the day. But before we go down this road, before we tackle one of those movies that we loved and have watched over and over and over again, it is time to take Smoke and Aces and trailerize it. They say that whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but in Lake Tahoe, well, you're on your own. A cavalcade of hitmen and assassins are about to descend on one hotel to prove one thing, that high school cliques don't end after grade 12, and they're gunning for one man, Jeremy Piven. It's like the sequel to PCU we didn't know actually existed. Come to think of it, a wannabe mobster Vegas-style showman 
is exactly the kind of future draws would have. Go ahead. Tell me I'm wrong. Will the FBI save their stiff before the mob finishes them off? It's Smoking Aces. Rated R for Reno. Would have been a better vacation. I mean, truly... Tell me I'm wrong that draws the character that Jeremy Piven played in PCU ending up like a Vegas showman, wannabe gangster, mobster kind of thing. Tell me that's not the natural progression of that character. We're not going to riot. We're not, not going to riot. riot. Gutter is a tool. <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to Gutter? <sighs> well, he went on to uh, produce The Mandalorian. Actually. Right? He, so. he he went off to Disney Plus, and now he's got Hugo. Gutter. Hugo is a tool. Yeah. Hugo is a tool. Gutter Rose, right? Yeah. Oh man! Now the thing is, anyone who has seen both movies is now trying to picture it, and probably agrees with us. So we're sorry you're on our wavelength. It's a scary place to be. But let's get into who is in this movie. The movie stars Jeremy Piven, Ben Affleck, Andy Garcia, Ryan Reynolds, Ray Liotta, Common. Alicia Keys, Taraji P. Henderson, Jason Bateman, Chris Pine, and there are so many more. Like, I could sit here and read the list of the entire cast, and it's like, holy crap, like, everyone's in this film. However, there isn't almost starring in this one here. Who wasn't on the list? According to IMDb, Michael Shannon, the guy who played General Zod in Man of Steel in the new Flash movie, um, was on the cast as one of the Nazi speed freaks. And again, according to IMDb, was fired for being rude to a costume designer. He was eventually replaced by Chris Pine. Oh, wow. Do not mess with the costume designers ever. I think he was just in character, though, no? Do not, mess, his, do not mess with the costume designers. Probably taking his role too far. They will stitch you in that costume and they, you will never get out. <laughs> you trying to picture that now. Um, the film was written and directed by Joe Carnahan, probably most known for the A-Team and Boss Level. So there are some decent films in his filmography as both writer and director. This film is definitely one of those good ones, though, because there are some accolades. At the New York festivals, this film won the bronze medal for introduction and lead-in titles. At the Cognac Festival du Film Policier. Ah? Ah, right? En français. Mais oui. Joe Carnahan won the International Critics Prize and the Special Jury Prize. And at the Casting Society of America Awards, this film won for Best Feature Action Horror Casting. Can't disagree. And I had to take a look who it beat out. Okay. These are the films that this movie beat out for best cast. Planet Terror. Death Proof. Superman Returns. And The Condemned. That's fascinating to me. This movie, although has a stellar cast. Mm -hmm. Beat out both Planet Terror and Death Proof. Wow. And Superman Returns. Well, okay. And somehow The Condemned. What what What's boggling my mind is basically the Grindhouse double feature. Right. But remember, too, it's listed as two films. 
So each, it's, it's not like you're taking the two and rolling them in one and taking that as one big ensemble cast. It's mm. Planet Terror is one, Death Proof is the other. If you were looking at that as one film, then, then it maybe. would be no contest. But I, I don't know. Wow. Oh, come on. As an ensemble cast. Yeah. This film definitely stands heads and tails above so many others. But it wasn't exactly an ensemble cast. Everybody had their own part, their own chapter, I want to say. Right, but- Much the same. It it wasn't- Okay, let's take a look at Superman Returns for a second here. Yes, Brandon Routh was a phenomenal Superman. I don't care what anyone says. He actually was really good in the role. Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. Not as a real human being, but as Lex Luthor was actually really good. Uh, I didn't mind Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane. I didn't mind like everyone else in that cast, but it was like a couple of you know actors and then everyone else around them. This film, it's a it's a solid all the way through ensemble cast, right? Everyone is almost on equal footing in this film. You don't get that very often. Yeah. Okay. I can. I can see that. I mean, again, if they, you were looking at Grindhouse as one film instead of two, there's an argument there. But I think still this film stands out. And the other thing, too, is even if you took a look at Grindhouse as one film, you have a cast in half the film and cast in the other half of the film. And it's kind of like, um, okay, maybe not. True. And the machete um, oh, and, and that's trailer, I guess. Well, there's the thing. If you take Grindhouse as one film, do you add all the trailers that were in between the two films? Mm. Right? Then it's a, it's an insane cast. But, I mean, that's like saying Movie 43 had a good ensemble cast. And not only does it have a good cast, but money-wise, this film was tight for budget here. This film has a budget of $17 million only. Only. That cast, and you have a $17 million budget, Domestically, it grossed $35 million and worldwide made $52 million. And according to Wikipedia, the DVD release of this made another $35 million. So, yeah, this film made bank. No, no, no. I'm sorry. The $17 million was actually the cleanup bill from <laughs> the hotel casino that they completely yeah. trashed. Yeah. The actors cost about 1 million and then 16 million was was done to clean up the hotel when they were done. When this film was released on the January 26, 2007 weekend. Yeah. 2007, y'all. Do the math. 16 years ago. Doesn't feel that way. This film debuted at number two with only $14.5 million. The number one movie that week was Epic Movie with only $18.5 million. So it's not like it was that far off. Also debuting that week in number five was Catch and Release. That debuted with just over $7.5 million. So... As far as new releases, A, I can't believe that Epic Movie beat this, but B, um, it proved not only later on, but also in the DVD market, that this film had staying power. And that's the thing, too, right? You get a film like this, released in 2007, and it's going to have that aftermarket saleability. Physical media today, not so much. And it's a shame 
because this is definitely one of those films that we most likely rented at the, the, your Blockbuster or Rogers Video or wherever, and then went and bought it afterwards kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, streaming, I'm sure you only get so much money, but still, this film has staying power. The critics, however, the critics suck. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 45, and over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 62% only. The critic score is 30%. The what? Come on now. Now, to put this into perspective, there is another Smoke and Aces film. Smoke and Aces 2 is actually a prequel to this one. At Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a higher tomatometer than the original. Smoke and Aces 2 has a tomatometer of 44% compared to the 30% of the original. However, the audience score of the 2007 film, I said 62%, the audience score for Smoke and Aces 2 is only 22%. So it's like the critics are like, oh, hey, we like this one better than the audience is like, f*** you, the original is better. All I can say is based on the concept of the movie, none of the hit men and women that they hired in the second one, which was the prequel, uh, were successful, obviously. Well, no, I I did say Smoke and Aces 2 is actually a prequel, but with Mm -hmm. completely different actors. Oh, completely different actors and different concept or? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with Smoke and Aces 1. Oh, I just thought it was like the predecessor to this lineup of <clears throat> yeah, no. actors. and No. They missed him the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Aces Israel is still alive somehow. <laughs> right. Enter the next round. No. Just no. No. Um. Are you shocked, though, of only 30% from the critics? You know what, though? Nothing shocks me since we've been starting this show. The critics are just harsh. I Like, I don't know, right? I mean, I, I get that their job is to find fault in movies. That's what they do. But really? I mean, I, I, I just don't understand the concept of not being able to accept and appreciate the movie as it is. Like, what, they, they do they want to go in and rewrite it uh, to their liking? Or I, 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 I just don't understand the concept of, like, how they... What, what is their criteria when they're grading? It's funny you mentioned that, because I'm like... I, 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 I did. I tried to wrap my head around the critic mindset going into this. And I was reading some of the comments and a lot of them were comparing this to Tarantino without that Tarantino wit. And that is exactly the problem. That's on them. Mm-hmm. If they're going to go into this movie and start comparing it to a completely different directorial style, already they're setting themselves up for a disappointment and disillusionment because it's not. Yeah. It's it's a completely different director, completely different writing style. Script. Exactly. The screenplay is completely different. Yeah. And it's not it's not even done 
in the Tarantino broken chronology kind of storytelling. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. Tarantino has a style. Tarantino has a flair to his writing in a, in a way that his films play out. You know, to watch a Tarantino film is to know a Tarantino film. And for you is to love a Tarantino film. However, that being said, if people are trying to rip off Tarantino, I get it. But this is also in that realm of a lot of movies that came out where it's like, it kind of has this kind of feel to it. Uh, Domino is one of those ones that I feel would probably get compared a lot to. You could also point to the Boondock Saints. Yes, thank you. So when I said that this is almost like done in chapters, it is. It's almost kind of like a graphic novel Mm -hmm. um, done in, you know, in, in a screenplay. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of movies like, um, I can't believe I'm going to make this comparison to a movie like Smoking Aces, but Rat Race, where you have these different groups and they're all at different parts of the race and it kind of jumps back and forth between each of the groups where, and occasionally they would they would meet up and all that. Or a movie like Time Code, which I think I still think was a fascinating way to do a movie in that you had these four individual cameras going all at the same time. And occasionally the actors in those different cameras would intersect, but not always. And so you were watching four different stories. Here, you have a lot of different groups that are working towards a similar goal, but kind of going down their own path. But let's get to this here. And rather than go... Um, you know, actor by actor by actor, because they were kind of grouped together. I want to start, um, we will start at the top here with Ben Affleck, because he got top billing in this one here. But how was Ben Affleck as Jack Dupree for you? Again, that was the first, like the first thing that I pointed out. I was like, how does Affleck have top billing when, okay, spoilers, right? He he probably has the fastest demise yeah. of all of the characters. Spoilers like a mofo here. Um, I took a look at IMDb and they listed it. Ben Affleck has 10 minutes of screen time in this film. And he has top billing on the poster. It's all about the money, money, money. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> uh, we've now gone full Jesse J in this one here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do appreciate that Ben Affleck in 2007, like, star is so high, right? Like, huge. You know, still riding off Good Will Hunting, still riding off. Like, he's still a huge actor at this point. And in 2007, you could argue that he his star is probably the brightest at that moment of everybody else. So, yeah, I understand why you put him number one on the poster, but then it becomes even more of a shock when you realize, oh, crap, he did. Well, it was Jeremy Piven's movie, but it was, the, the show was stolen mm. by Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm sorry, Ben Affleck. I know you could play the f- shark from Jaws, but... According to Kevin top, Smith. Top billing was not at all... I have a feeling that probably led to, you know, think about it, right? If you are like, okay, this movie's got this star and it's all good. And then like, you know, 10 minutes 
you know, 20 minutes into the film, you've only had 10 minutes of him. And it's like, oh, and by the way, he did. You don't get him no more. It's like, it was like Halloween Resurrection, right? And you had Jamie Lee Curtis in like the beginning of the film and she's on the poster front and center and she's gone in like the first like 10, 15 minutes of the film and then we never see her again. She's dead. She's gone. It was like a little prelude to the actual movie that they kind of tacked on at the beginning. I can see that kind of feeling a little bit like a bait and switch. The other thing too is you take a look at that trio, right? It's Ben Affleck, it's Peter Berg, and Martin Henderson. Okay. And again, warning, spoilers like a mofo here. Ben Affleck and Peter Berg are killed in the same scene. So we thought also Martin Henderson. Peter Berg, you know, as an actor, maybe not the name that you first think of, but as a director, you're going to freak out because he was the, the director of very bad things. So, nice. so you have an, I can see that right. You have an accomplished director and actor. You have Ben Affleck, who himself is an accomplished director and actor, and they're there for a short time. It's a good time, but not a long time. Now, don't get me wrong, though. I'm not on Ben Affleck's performance in this movie. Oh God, no! He was really great in the role that he was in, and I. I, I just, I think, I think his death was necessary. I get that. Oh, I mean, everyone died for a reason when they died. You know, by the way, again, please go watch Smoke and Aces before you listen to the rest of the, the, the episode here, because we're going to spoil the hell out of this one. But again, I did mention that this film is 16 years old. Even if you've seen it. Watch it again. Watch it again. Right? Do it. The thing is, there's a weight of expectation, right? Ben Affleck is on the poster. He's the first name listed. So you're a little surprised that they kill him off that early. I personally don't mind it. I'm like, ooh, I like the curveball, right? But can you imagine, like, going to see a movie, like, all right, it's a Ben Affleck film, and he's dead. we got another hour and a half to go. Yeah, but it so redeems itself. Oh, it does. It does. But in talking about that group, though, let's talk about Martin Henderson, who played Hollis Elmore. He's the guy that survived um, the shooting and being dumped in the river and missing a bunch of his fingers and then ends up yeah. at, you know, way wacko house in the middle of nowhere before finally making it back to the hotel. With I, the kid. Right. <laughs> how, how was Martin Henderson for you? Oh, my God. No, he was great. Like... I, I just felt so bad for him. I'm like, oh my God. Right? <laughs> like, and that's the thing. In Hollis, the character that he plays, it's like his entire demeanor through this whole thing, even before getting shot by the, the crazy speed punk Nazi type, guy, type guys, is that it's almost like his job to look around with this gaze that can only be described as what the f like everything's going on around him and it's like his brain is like struggling to process how messed up every situation is from when they meet the 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 lawyer who's holed up in a hotel with what can only be described as some weird sexual warts on his face and a bunny helmet uh to uh the the Ridland 
erection spewing kid that, that that's in the whole kind of thing it's like like what's going on with this film right like that's his expression and he kind of feels like the audience just promise me though because i might have missed it he didn't actually kill the grandma did he no 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 he no, just no. he just escaped the madhouse i i think he he he's like i'm gonna borrow this gun cocked it as a way of saying don't try to stop me because i w- i am getting out of this house come hell or high water Okay, as long as Granny's okay, because she was just—I I don't think he had a problem with Granny. I think—I think it was the—I think it was the kid. But since we're talking about them, Marianne Murelay, and again, I do apologize if I mess up any names. I'm an idiot in a basement with a microphone and a lovely beer to drink. So bear with me here. Uh, playing Maggie Turlock and Zach Coomer as Warren, the kid with you know one eye clearly shot it with a with a BB gun. <laughs> Right. Or he hit it with a nunchuck. Yeah, more than likely, More than yes. likely. How was that situation for you? Because this is where it went to, to crazy town. He was that kid that Ralphie should have, like, taken a lesson from. You're going to shoot an eye out with that BB gun. <laughs> you, you, you have to understand. And they put this kid in the trailer a lot. Oh really? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> nice. Like it's it, this. It wasn't like this was at a left field. You knew this kid was coming. You know, kid with like nunchucked eye out kind of thing, wearing a wearing a karate gi, and like, what you want to get? Don't look at me, man. Like, yeah. What the hell he is wrong with so this kid? so great. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so at a left field. It's so wrong in so many ways, and but really, it still kind of works. Such a small part. Right. I mean, necessary. But such a small part. But that's the thing. You have this small part. and But the two of them together, not not just Warren, the kid, but Maggie, the the, the grandmother as well. Because there there are things that, like, it's hard sometimes to hear what she's saying because, because Warren is so loud and so insane and draws the eye of, of the viewer. But the things, the shit that she's saying, like, completely leads to Hollis's look of, what the f- is going on because she's just such an enabler she's like oh yeah just kids being kids you know yeah it's like oh his his father you know got got caught doing some some bad stuff kind of thing is in jail you know it's like, I, I was like what the hell like like if, go to imdb and read some of the quotes of maggie okay because because you're gonna sit there and go if i was in a conversation and someone was talking like this to me i personally would grab the nearest gun and and get my way out of there too <laughs> but it's so so out of left field like and i i am gonna draw a tarantino-esque comparison here this is like that scene i, I i'm trying to figure out which scene it reminds me more of and they're both in pulp fiction so so work with me on this one here you got the gimp Okay. The whole gimp scene and how it's just so, what the f- is going on, right? And Hollis in the, in that in that scene in that house with those two, feels to me like Bruce Willis, you know, when he's like, "All right, I just got out, and and now I have a sword, and it's like I can leave or I can go in there and mess it up, right?" It's that look of like, okay, what am I gonna do, or. It's the scene where you've got uh, Jules and Vince sitting down at the diner with with Honey Bunny and trying to talk them all down kind of thing. Like, it's just so out there. And it's just so insanely intense in a weird way. 
but it's kind of cool. I, I don't even know if it, like, I would say even more like Kill Bill, where, you know, Uma Thurman is, um... Are you about to compare Warren to Pai Mei? Yeah, possibly. And then the kid comes home? <laughs> no, it's nothing like that, actually, because, I mean, the kid was super sweet. She wasn't... Yeah, yeah, no, th- this, crazy is, this isn't a kid who needs Riddlin and starts karate chopping her way through everything here. No. 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 Okay, let, let's get out of the madhouse here. Alicia Keys and Taraji P. Henson uh, as Georgia Sykes and Sharice Waters, respectively. Keep in mind, this is Alicia Keys' cinematic debut. So going from singer to actor, this is her first acting role. So the, those two assassins, how were they for you? They did amazing. However, especially if it was her first role, mm-hmm. she absolutely owned it. Like, brilliant. But I do have to question how she got out of the hotel room. Did she just leave her rifle, you know, set up or did she pack it up and go? Like, cause, cause really all the attention was drawn on the action. Do you miss, you, you must've fallen asleep again during that scene. When okay. she got out. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. So hear me out here. All right. So you've got Georgia is played by Alicia Keys and her job is to, um, dress all skanky and join the next wave of prostitutes that's that's being brought up to to buddy israel's penthouse suite and that's how she's going to get access and that's how she's going to get them um meanwhile sharice as played by taraji p henson is in like the other tower across the parking lot with this huge long like massive rifle and basically providing long distance cover and then everything goes down Alicia Keys, it looks it looks to Sharice that that Georgia was shot because she sees uh, one of one of the dead hookers, but it's not actually Georgia. But of course, from that long distance, you're just looking through a sniper scope, and all you see is dead hoe on the ground. Right. Right. She she instantly thinks. Now, meanwhile, Georgia and Common. Uh, as as Buddy Israel's security guy, find themselves in a stairwell trying to get out of the building. Yeah, no, she gets carried out, that part. Exactly. But how does Sharice get out of the hotel? She doesn't. There's a scene where um, she, sees, uh, she sees Georgia in the parking lot with Common, and, Com- and, and Common's helping her out kind of thing. And she's crying because she loves Georgia. Yeah, and, and she I, shoots everything up. Right. Well, no, no, she shot everything up before she saw that, that Georgia had made it out of the building. So she's sitting there in the in the hotel room and crying. And all you see uh, from a, a different shot are these security guards, these FBI agents that are coming down the hallway towards the room that Sharice is in. And all you hear is some, 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 some shots. So it's assumed that Sharice was shot by the FBI. Oh, I, okay, I totally did miss that. Yeah. I mean, at this point, when I see security guards running, I'm like... Are they real guards? Are they the fake guards? Like, who the f*** are these guys? Right? No, no. That, that, yeah. that was like FBI security oh, okay. that, that was coming into the tower. Because there's a shot out window in a building where everything else is not happening. So clearly, 
something's yeah. going on, so they're going to send security up there. Yeah. They found the, yeah. Yeah. The, the cause of the shots. But the, I think it's the dynamic between Georgia and Sharice. You know, Sharice is very, and, and I say this in regards to the character, like very, very female empowered and women are need to stick together and rise up, but she's clearly in love with Georgia and Georgia, while she, you know, while, while she likes Sharice and respects Sharice, they're partners, but Georgia doesn't see Sharice as a partner, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. There was no love there. Right. There, there, there was, there was, there was trust right she trusted Sharice to have her back she trusted Sharice to do the job and protect Georgia as best as she could but it wasn't that reciprocal relationship so when you get to those points right it's an interesting dynamic between the two and I think it was played very well by both of them Mm -hmm. oh very much yeah Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
Let's move on to the Tremors. As led by Chris Pine and Kevin Durant and Maury Sterling as the other Tremors here. Let me try and explain. Picture what would happen if three steampunk Nazis in 2007 got their hands on all the Red Bull. It's like train spotting. Yeah. I was thinking almost like a modern day clockwork orange, but I can totally see how train spotting meets clockwork orange between the between those two. Yeah, or even um Oh my gosh, uh Boondock Saints? No, no, no. Um Maybe, Formula 51? I could the, see a little bit of Formula 51. And, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, by the way, uh or the 51st State, however you're going to watch this film, right? right? It's still the same damn film. Like these three are nihilism incarnate, right? Like they are there to mess up in the most crazy way possible. Like they feel like you're playing some post-apocalyptic game and these are the wastelanders that are coming after you complete with guns and chainsaws and really crazy laughter (laughs) but the fact that it's chris pine leading this team and where chris pine's career went after this film like we're talking wonder woman we're talking uh dungeons and dragons we're talking captain freaking kirk right and yet he works so well in this. I am happy for him that he had a career. How about the other two? Not as not as big as Chris Pine. Now it's it's funny because according to IMDb, um, apparently uh, Ben Affleck was talking about Chris Pine. Said like, if I had to put any money on on anyone doing well in this industry, it's him. Oh, nice. So yeah, like it, I, it's just so funny that. I'm kind of glad it's not Michael Shannon because that might be a bit more anarchistic as opposed to nihilistic. Like Chris Pine brought fun to it. I think that that's what made him all the more frighteningly psycho <laughs> is that he was truly having fun with it. You know, it was it was genuinely like fun as opposed to just anarchy yeah that's the thing it yeah he's a bit of a punk right but it's it's not an idiot punk they're just they they are chaos incarnate right they are chaos right you could imagine like any party that these three were at was going to be a rager and someone was probably going to go to the hospital afterwards (laughs) that's kind of how that one feels yep Nestor Carbonell as Pasquale Acosta. Uh, he's the guy that ended up in the shootout with Ray Liotta in the elevator. They built his character up. So like, yeah, he's this guy who's so insane. He bit his own fingernails off so he couldn't be identified. And then he goes in, you know, kills the, the security guard, takes this the suit, ends up in the, the elevator with Ray Liotta, who sees the fingers and puts two and two together. They have this just mutually assured destruction shootout in an elevator. How was Nestor Carbonell as Pasquale for you? Frightening. I mean, definitely like, you know, it, it was an intense scene mm-hmm. for sure. It was kind of like, okay, this is not going to end well 
for anybody. Exactly. I think the thing too with, with Pasquale is that if you if you take a look at all of the assassins in this, right? You've got Hollis and you know and and the the remains of Ben Affleck and Peter Berg, and they're very bounty hunter business like, right? You've got the Tremors who are just insane. You have uh, Georgia and Sharice, and there there's a there's an interesting dynamic there. They're professional, but it, you know, one wants to be more than professional. Here you have Acosta, who is, you know, so methodical to the point of, you know, he's got like the 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 wrist shank kind of thing, and the fact that he's the kind of guy who would chew off his own fingernail so he couldn't be identified. Like this is a serious dude, and he plays it serious to the hilt, like. That's the thing. It's not everyone being crazy. You have a, a variety of personalities all gunning for Buddy Israel. Okay, let's step away from the assassins for a second here. Jason Bateman as Rupert Rip Reed, the the lawyer who the, the, there's a lot of storytelling going on in, in the setup for that hotel room that he's in. But how was Jason Bateman for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, you know, I just, I, I couldn't help but just go, ew, like I just couldn't look at him. I mean, obviously he played the part well, um, but I just couldn't get over that thing on his face. And I'm like, ugh. Well, let's see. Bunny head. Uh, right. The the women's lingerie, the, the fluffy head, the, the STD sores on his lips the clearly he's in a hotel room because that's where he's living at that point like there is a lot of storytelling in a short amount of time but a character that we don't really see that much yeah but because it's jason bateman because it's someone we recognize and because it's someone who's he's not over the topping this but he's definitely right in the pocket of of what this character and that's the thing too it's not just the fact that he's probably very very dirty and not the and not the corrupt way the you know the kind where you need hand sanitizer after shaking hands with him but i think it sets up not necessarily himself but he sets up the character of of jack dupree uh, and peter burke's character and martin henderson's character because of their association with him he's a touch point like these are the this is the kind of person that those three have to deal with to do their job, that kind of sets more, it's more telling their story than it's telling his. Right. But very well done in that regard. Oh, yeah. And and again, it's one of those things where it's, it's subtle things, right? Like clearly he's up on something. He's trying to explain things. And then like Hall starts looking at the, the rabbit. Like, no, 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 don't touch that. Don't touch that. Like it's, there. there's a lot going on there. And not not that I want that story explored more because I think it, it was the right amount of Jason Bateman in this. Yes, yes. Right? But sometimes you need a character in there to tell other people's story as opposed to their own. And I think this is a perfect example of that. Oh, absolutely. Joel Edgerton as Hugo, the, for lack of a better term, manservant to, to Buddy Israel. When I realized it was Joel Edgerton... I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, Owen Lars from from Star Wars and Obi Wan, 
Jo- Joel Edgerton? That that's him? The what? The interesting thing, though, is that, and again, spoilers like a mofo here. You've been warned numerous times. If you're still in at this point here, then you've you've accepted your fate. Is that not only does he have to play Hugo, but he has to play someone else disguised as Hugo later on. Because, of course, Hugo gets killed by the guy who's the master of disguise kind of thing. Not Dana Carvey. Not Dana Carvey. But he has to play him differently in different halves of the film. I love when an actor gets to play like that. I was just like, oh, my God, I don't know what's worse. Put the mask back on or (laughs) his actual face. But the thing is, it's a lot. It's a lot of acting and very minimal, if any, dialogue. Right. Like. At first, it's like he's he's subservient to everyone and then all of a sudden, like, you know, like after he's killed and, and Hugo is now, um, you know, the, actually the, the, the master of disguise kind of thing. Wait, like, this is the dude in the blue tracksuit, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, because all of a sudden it's the, it's the guy who killed him, made the, 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 the mold of his face kind of thing and basically started to play him to get access to... He was super psycho, though. Like, he had, like tools of destruction like he he had a plan oh absolutely but that's the thing for joel edgerton as an actor he has to play this as two different people and that's fascinating true also in the penthouse common in his film debut as an actor as sir ivy buddy israel's head of security um again I, i love the fact that this is his first film how was he he was great I mean, that that moment where um, they kind of have words, you know, or his his loyalty is, is questioned. Not his loyalty is questioned, but his almost like the realization that his time was wasted. Mm-hmm. He put he put so much into Buddy Israel and Israel's basically going to sell him out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and everybody else. And I think. <sighs> I know there was a lot of fan, not fan speculation, but fan wanting of Common to play uh, John Stewart as the Green Lantern, you know, from the from the Justice League animated series to, to get him onto into the the Zack Snyder verse before everything kind of switched over to the the James Gunn universe when that actually starts filming. Seeing the scene, you know that that tense standoff between him and Buddy. This is where I'm like, yeah, oh, he could play such a good, like, simmering, steely John Stewart as a Green Lantern. So James gonna make it happen. You you have now been told your casting is done. I I get you casted Nathan Philly and his guy Gardner. You still need a John Stewart, and you still have Common. So make it happen. You you've been told. But I love that scene though, because it's not over the top, right? It's not like he's gone full Denzel Washington in training day, right? King Kong ain't got on him and he but he doesn't need to say it that way, right? It's just such a slow burn. Now you mentioned the guy who steals the show. So it, let's talk about him now. Ryan Reynolds as Richard Messner. 
I thought we were heading for Jeremy Piven. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the guy who's basically the name of buddy. the film. We're leaving Buddy Israel until the end here. Okay. But, but Ryan Reynolds. Fair enough. You know what? He was great. And the thing is, I think, again, it's all my, it's all on my impression. It's all on my um you know how I said the critics are, are destined for disappointment if they have their own, uh, they go into it with their own uh, expectations, right? Mm-hmm. The weight of expectations seeing Ryan Reynolds is like, I expected him to be funny. I so wanted him to be funny. And he was the most serious of all of the characters. Like, he was intensely serious and it was almost kind of like, I don't know if I felt that I was disappointed by it, but he was just so, so great. He's such a great actor. Ryan Reynolds just has such a range that he can be incredibly funny or really serious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, again, let's put this into like a a time-based perspective here. So this film comes out in 2007, right? So clearly we're not at Green Lantern level here yet. We're not at, um, you know, we're not at Deadpool yet. Thankfully, we're not at RIPD yet. You know, this is still at a stage where, you know, he's able to play with a lot of different things, you know. You know, and I'm just taking a look here. Yes, it's two years after waiting, so we get some of that funny, you know. It's a few years after Blade Trinity, so we had him in that comedic yet still action kind of film but i mean you also had him in movies like van wilder yes again more comedy kind of thing but i mean later on like he there are some films in his filmography where we're like wow this this is a really really powerful performance here and the the movie that comes to mind is 2010's buried where you know he's basically buried alive and it's a it's a very claustrophobic film uh we had we didn't get to see that before smoking aces but you can see where the serious side of ryan reynolds acting is he's not always goofy even though it feels that way sometimes but it feels more that way now i was gonna say the adam project as well well and there's the thing like the adam project you had a little bit of the levity thrown in there to kind of help carry things along a little bit um it almost feels like you can't have a ryan reynolds film now without a little bit of that levity but I think, yeah, in the Adam Project, it was more serious than we were used to at that point. And, you know, if he were to do a serious movie now, it might come as a shock to people. But in 2007, the star was still on the rise at that point. That's true. And then I have to think about the timing, right? Like, I, I mean, we watched it, what, last week. So, again, seeing Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, I'm like, oh, he's going to be the comedic relief in this no that was far far from the truth he's one of the more serious people in this film yeah yeah although i absolutely love how he played it yeah i don't want to i don't want to say but the very final ryan reynolds scene oh it was was fantastic and there's the thing too right i i know i complained a bit when we covered ripd right and how i wanted more fun out of ryan reynolds but in r.i.p.d it called for it here in smoking aces 
you needed some some grounding. You needed some anchoring. And I think that this is where he did very well in keeping an even keel, in being very serious and treating this like the serious case that it is. Not to mention his partner. Oh, Ray Liotta, yeah. Ray Liotta. And, you know, you could tell that they had that bond, you know, like, spoilers, but um, Ray Liotta's death really impacted Ryan Reynolds' character. It's not really a spoiler because I spoiled that one already. Well, okay. So. Yeah, we've been, we've been spoiling you know, it. Yeah, exactly. This whole episode is a spoiler. But it, it, it very much was his turning point. Mm-hmm. And, but that's the thing, too. Like, Ray Liotta as Donald Carruthers, right? He's the he's the vet, the more veteran of the of the two of the of the partners there. So he's a little bit more looser until it's time to get serious, right? Like when they're sitting in the van, he's the one cracking jokes. He's the one who's, you know, like like trying to keep the levity and tr- also while also trying to maintain control of everyone else on the radios. But once the 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 gravity of the situation becomes apparent. Like Ray Liotta goes goes full business, and that's the thing. It's not like you have good cop, bad cop, or or you know angry cop, happy cop kind of thing. You have you know two partners who are very comfortable with each other, and when it's business, when it's go time, it's go time for both of them. Mm-hmm. And then you have Andy Garcia as Stanley Locke, the the head of that de- detachment, I guess, of the FBI who is kind of the linchpin to kind of the everything that's going on. And I'm this is where I'm going to try and not spoil the twist. But Andy Garcia, as their boss, how was he? Mm, again, you don't want to... Yeah, we, we, you don't we, we spoiled a lot already. Yeah. So th- this is the one where I'm like, no, you gotta watch it. I know, it's it's, again, watch it. Definitely watch the movie. But it's good. But that moment. Yes. That moment when, yeah. when when you realize that what all of this led up to, right? And the realization of that to Ryan Reynolds. Like there there's so much in that moment. And it's it's how do I put this here? It it is it's it's really try and picture. And I'm sure there are many people who are listening to this podcast who can probably relate. So try and try and picture this here. When you were young and your parents were so pissed off at you that instead of yelling, instead of screaming at you and, and, and yelling at you to go to your room, they get quiet. Mm-hmm. They get quiet and monotone. And they use all three of your names. God help you if you have more than three. <laughs> they will use every single one. And, yeah, and that's can, when you know yeah, it's real. And every syllable is an earthquake in the pit of your stomach. And it's like this. And you know, you know you f***ed up. And there's no way out of it. A minimum single digit grounding in months is a bonus because you know the year is around the corner that's that's the intensity you get and right now people are like oh, yeah 
there was that time and I remember and yeah like you want to run but you can't run because you're frozen with fear because you've never heard them like this you're trying to you're trying to remember that moment mm-hmm. now in your life yep. aren't oh, you no, I, I oh have... you know exactly what yep. that moment is right yep, yep. yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone listening right now is like yeah in there sorry mom and dad yeah thanks for the flashback and the trauma i'll see you in therapy you're welcome um but yeah like when you get to that moment andy garcia will make you want to go to your room and ground yourself that's that's how that's how intense it is finally finally we get to buddy aces israel as played by jeremy piven how was he well, actually, can I just take a reroute? You're you're missing a whole other side storyline of the um the gangster on life support. Oh, Sp- Sparazza. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, how was Sparazza? And again, I'm gonna not try not to say too too much, but how was Sparazza for you? So again, I think it was it it was definitely relevant though. Oh, it, it, it is relevant. But you know, to to that end, he really just sat there and looked old and there and, wasn't, and menacing in a way. Right. I mean, it was it was mostly done in flashback or um, just kind of like a fly on the wall. Yeah. I mean, it's how do I say how do I say this? It's performance through presence. Mm-hmm. Right. And very much, I think a lot of what I love about the style of the the script writing on this is that it's very much done in narrative. Mm, oh, absolutely. All of yeah. the different chapters or all of the different scenes with the different characters that we've just kind of gone through, um, it almost kind of builds this story. Mm-hmm. Right as it goes, yeah. and then you get different perspectives from different conversations. So at Sparaza's command, all of these hitmen, assassins, and contractors uh, are are hired to get Israel and bring him to the Swede. That that is what uh, Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta are working on. Like this is what they hear over the phone conversation. So they you know they think okay, like all these people are are gunning for Buddy Israel. So that is the premise that you're getting into. But now, Buddy Israel. Okay, now I'm ready. Oh, my God. So great. I mean, just like an absolute snake. Like, you can tell, right? Even the people closest to him really mean nothing. Oh, Wayne Newton wanted to punch him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, you kind of... You see a character like that and just has so much power, yet is just so incredibly ruthless and heartless and just, yeah, it, it's it's almost like he played it so well that I really, really want to like Jeremy Piven because I just always liked Jeremy Piven, but I even found him unlikable, but I really liked him. So he did that incredible of a job yeah. you're not supposed to like buddy we don't like buddy congratulations jeremy piven but- thank you jeremy piven for making me not like <laughs> buddy israel but that's the thing like buddy's going through this absolute descent into madness right like the walls are closing in on him he's trying to to basically rat everybody out to save himself 
and the walls close in even faster. Like you're watching him descend, you know, through drug use, through um, prostitution, through through everything, right? Like he's holed up and he's breaking down and you get to watch the whole thing. And it's fascinating to see from the beginning of the, of the film, we see the flashbacks of him, like, you know, living the high life kind of thing to the point where he's just like, at the point of killing himself or, or considering killing himself, right? Like that, that's a journey for this character. And, and you see the progression and Piven does a wonderful job of that. Mm-hmm. Very, very well done. Before we get to a couple of, a couple of points that I have here, uh, Twitter did speak out on this one here. Ray Chavo chimed in with, I actually enjoyed it. Thinks it, think it's a fun idea, if not always executed correctly and some great performances in it. And I completely agree with the great performances, but I'll ask you this one here. Is there anything you think was, was executed incorrectly in this? Ooh, you're going to have to let me think on this. Okay. I, I I have some thoughts on this one here, uh, but let's get through the other Twitter chime-ins here. Uh, the Movie Duel podcast chimed in with great film, unpredictable, lots of fun, and the makeup job on Jeremy Piven to make him look effed up is amazing. Great ensemble cast as well. And clearly, someone else agrees with the great ensemble cast. The, 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 the Movie Duel podcast speaks wisely. Um, and yes, like... The visual descent into madness for Jeremy Piven. It's not just, you know, like, oh, I'm crazy, I'm crazy. No, 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 no. You see him decline through the duration of this film. And when you realize, you know, the the short time span that's, that all this is going on, that that's a whole lot of crazy packed into a short amount of time. The totally 80s, 90s recall podcast chimed in with, I love this movie. I've always thought it was highly underrated. Uh, so do we, and that's why we're here. And the Itch Rock Radio and podcast chimed in with, an assassin battle royal? Come on. How do you not enjoy that? And I, I like that definition of it, an assassin battle royal. Oh, I love that. Right? Going back to Ray Chavo's point, though, about things that were executed maybe incorrectly or or not as well as they could have been. Hear me out on this one here. When you watch the trailer for this, it feels like a lot of madcap antics, right? There's a lot of like, you know, you got the tremors in there, like in their craziness. You've got Warren and and basically the Ritalin Karate Kid, right? Um, it feels like this crazy antic hitman type film. But there's a lot of weight in a lot of these scenes. And it's not as crazy as the trailer makes it out to be. So I wonder if the you know, the, the idea of what you're stepping into is altered by the trailer that you watched before going into it. It's almost maybe like the critics were looking for the pacing of, and I want to think of the perfect example, but whereas... This was very slow and methodically paced. Um, I keep drawing back to almost like chapters, like it was written like a book. And, you know, you're you're kind of like checking in at different um, conversations, um, different scenes with, with different, all the different hitmen, 
and characters and then there's pieces that kind of tie it all together. Um, whereas, I don't know, what what is a good example? It was almost kind of like... Um, oh, I, I have your example for you here. Yeah, yeah where, help where, me out. Where, where the trailer seems like it's going to be this, and then you get to the movie and it's really kind of this, right? Free Fire, starring Brie Larson, Army Hammer, Killian Murphy, uh, and, and Sherito Copley. That trailer... And, and a very similar feel to it, right? You have have these people that are going to, to do this gun deal and then the gun deal breaks down and it becomes this, you know, standoff in this, in, in this warehouse basically between the gun dealers and the people trying to buy the guns. And the trailer looks so fun and so enjoyable and like very much like how uh, Smoke and Aces feels. And then it's a bit more methodical when you watch it the other movie that comes to mind and we watched it recently and damn if i didn't want to walk out during it was the dead don't die (gasps) yes watching the trailer for the dead don't die and i'm sorry jim jarmusch fans i'm sorry and the actors in it too you expected more i'm sorry if you are a fan of this film but i'm about to make it take a big old crap on this film here watching the trailer i'm like we have to go see this film you got bill murray you got adam driver you have like this stellar cast and it looks so kooky and weird and fun and you get there and you're like the is this like slow and the jokes aren't even funny for me that was lost in translation well lost in translation was never supposed to be funny though or um no life aquatic sorry i love the life aquatic my apologies it was so boring the life aquatic with steve zissou may be the only wes anderson film i will claim to actually liking that now that being said i have not seen asteroid city yet but it is very true. You watch the trailer and you expect something and then you get to the movie and it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson and all over the place. But that's the thing. The trailer did a very good job of reeling the audience in. And I personally think the movie did a very good job of, of keeping the audience there. But if you went in expecting a bit more chaos and nihilism, and you got a much more nuanced script with a, a very good twist, then you might have been thrown off a little bit. And I think that's why this film did better in DVD as opposed to like critic scores and whatnot. Because those who saw it and liked it were like, I got to watch this again. Right. And those who saw it and were like, I, I, it's not like the trailer. Right. That's where the critics are coming in with a preconceived notion. And that's that's not a good thing. All right, that's my uh, that's my diatribe there. But now it's time, and we got a big cast to pick from here. So, Carrie, who is your MVP of Smoking Aces? You know what? I I'm I'm gonna hold strong on this. I'm gonna go with Jeremy Piven. Okay. Yeah, I I think he just again. Um, in such a short amount of time, he was able to, you know, fall so far from grace, right? Mm-hmm. And just go completely mad. And I, again, I kind of, I 
I liked I liked the the the, the ending scene. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Like yeah. you really like we 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 spoiled a lot, but yeah. we haven't spoiled everything. So nope. you still got to watch this. Watch it. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the end, watch it to the end. Exactly. Okay, so I had three on my list. You can't do that. Well, no, hear me out. Hear me <laughs> out. I had I had three on my list. Past tense. And Jeremy Piven was definitely on there for sure. As was Ryan Reynolds. Because it's it's a very strong performance from Ryan Reynolds and one that you're probably not expecting, but one that you will really enjoy. But I'm actually going with Alicia Keys. Really? Because of all the hitmen, of all the assassins in this, here's the one that looked at the script, got it, and played that part to perfection. Like, if you're looking at the trailer, like the tremors, when you look at the script, while they're necessary, are definitely on the crazy side of things, right? And you can't really look at some of the others because they didn't make it that far into the script. But Alicia Keys, all the way through, not only do you have the progression of character from going into doing the job to realizing just how f***ed up a situation becomes to finding a way out with someone else who is also finding a way out of a crappy situation. Like the fact that it's it's common in Alicia Keys getting out of the hotel at the same And I don't think it's like it feels like a total like, you know, hey, baby kind of thing. But I think it's one of those things where the two of them, given their situation, their character situations, this was their way out. And they, they made their way out together. I love the dynamic, too, that she was there to end, mm-hmm. buddy. And yet, and, and Common's job really was to protect him. Uh, exactly, and yeah. Yet they still wound up together. But again, that was also the... Um, the failing of the relationship that he had with Buddy, mm-hmm. and to the same token as well, it was this? It was the the failed relationship, for lack of a better term, between Georgia and Sharice, where you know Sharice is very you know overbearing, if you will. Right? She was all in on the everything, right? And Georgia is very professional, very cool, very calculated, and you saw it in that that that, that standoff scene between. Her and Common and Ryan Reynolds in the stairwell, right? Where it's like, I'm getting out of here and I'm not going to shoot you and you're not going to shoot me and we're get, we're going to survive this. Because it's that reality. Every, everything is going wrong at this point. And she's clinging to her calm demeanor as a survival method in that scene, as is Ryan Reynolds. Scored huge points for me in that one scene. But, but all the way through it. So Alicia Keys is my MVP for this one. Carrie, lovely to have you back. It's good to be back. Right? <laughs> now, dear listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or you think it's so bad that there is no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on social media at NotThatBadCast or 
or at our website at notthatbadcast.com. While you're there at the website, check out our Coming Soon page and our blog so you can keep up on all the movies that we are preparing to talk about as well as episodes of There Can Only Be One. Until next time, she's Carrie. You're lovely. Listeners, you're lovely as well. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.